She's a medically retired police officer. She was permanently injured in the line of duty during an arrest. She's here to tell her story, what happened, her life after, and more on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. Contacting us from Jacksonville, North Carolina area, we have Robin Wallace on the phone. Robin is a medically retired Jacksonville City police officer. Robin, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show, and, and thanks very much for your service. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> and so much of what we see in police work, you know, is this stuff on television. I always say this, Hollywood gets it so wrong. And people ask me what police work is like. And I tell them, quite often, it was seven hours of sheer boredom, routine calls. Then you have a hot call. And it's life and death, a full-on adrenaline dump. Then back to normal. Then repeat the process, sometimes two, three times a shift. And then there's the really, and I'm air quoting, sexy things, the, the holdups, the bank robberies, the shootouts, all that stuff. But the vast majority of police don't get injured in those things. Uh, so many get career-ending injuries in the what we often consider mundane routine police work. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. I agree with that. That's how mine occurred. <laughs> and how long were you a police officer? For almost 10 years. Okay. And you were in Jacksonville, North Carolina, which is uh, not a small city and certainly not New York, but it's like somewhere in between. And I'm sure I'm willing to bet that they have a significant crime problem, just like many of the places across the United States. We do. I mean, it's awful low or lower than other cities. But yeah, we definitely have our issues and problems there, just like anybody else. And in your experience and career, I, I say this all the time, most of it was... Uh, directing and solving people's problems, taking reports, doing investigations. <laughs> Not a whole lot of it was about arresting people. And when we did arrest people, and in my case, there was quite a bit because it's a high crime area, the vast majority of those were not confrontational, were not adversarial, and were not violent. No, same. Same here, yeah. In your career, uh, you were in patrol most of your career? I was, yes, sir. Okay, for those who don't understand, what is patrol? So the patrol, uh, you ride around in your patrol car and you wait for a call for service, which means anybody that calls in 911 or the non-emergency line, um, you're directed to go and figure out what is going on and how you can help and assist the, the citizen and that's did, calling in. Did you work shift work all around the clock? Yeah. So at my time, it was two weeks day shift and that started at 7 a.m to 7 p.m. 
two weeks. Then you switched to another mid-shift, and that's 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., and then you switched after the two weeks to 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So there was a constant rotation every two weeks of those three schedules. That's tough on your body. Every two weeks, we changed every 28 days, and that was tough. They tried uh, different the scheduling here after I had left, but that was my schedule for almost 10 years. And you had rotating days off, I imagine. Yeah, um, it was, you work Monday, Tuesday, off Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday, work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then the following week, you only work Wednesday and Thursday. So it's in essence, it's 15 days a week that you're working, or 15 days a month that you're working. Now, where do I sign up for that gig? That's not pretty sweet, to be honest. <laughs> I, I got to go tell you, we, we worked like we'd have Monday, Tuesday off one week. The next week, we'd have Tuesday, Wednesday. The following week, we'd have Wednesday, Thursday. Then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, one of those deals. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then back to Monday, Tuesday. Uh, and so we worked holidays. We worked nights. We worked all kinds of shift work. Yes. And the hardest on me, I hated was midnight shift because inevitably what wound up happening is we get off at seven or eight o'clock in the morning, depending on the district you're in, and you get a subpoena to court and you're in court waiting, especially in criminal court downtown for four, yes. five, six hours. And you're told, hey, we don't need you. You go home and you try to get three hours sleep and repeat the process. <laughs> yeah, they, they're pretty good to us. Um, so they gave us scheduled court days. So majority of our court dates were actually schedule for our day shift that way we weren't working and off of a night and coming back in in that morning and waiting for court so they were actually very kind and very gracious to us for that and that was greatly appreciated well you said two words there were some days yeah you you, you said two words which are important they were kind and gracious and I, i gotta be honest with you that's not the case with many people i talk to and many cities counties states federal government included they just don't care Yes, I see that at times. <laughs> I yeah, have. Unfortunately. And so, in your career as a police officer, what would you say would be the one thing that most Americans just don't get or don't get an honest portrayal of from the news media? I would have to say that um, the, the tender moments that we have to respond to, um, for instance, I don't know why it has touched me so much into this day thinking about it could bring tears to my eyes, but it was a, an older gentleman called us for his wife who stopped breathing and had passed away. And just to see him sitting on the bed above her while she's on the ground and she has all the medical, you know, equipment hanging on her and off of her. And he just so kindly bent over and put her gown back on her chest that is so tender and it's such a raw moment that nobody gets to see but us and it might affect one officer a lot more than it does somebody else so it's not just running and hustling and bustling and and arresting and it's not that it's those tender moments that you need to protect or help protect because that's the last memory that man has of his wife I say quite often uh, that as a police officer, I lied. I lied quite a bit. And I'm not saying in court. I'm not saying to cover up people. Uh, what I'm saying is quite often the last face a person saw as they were dying was a, a police officer. In my case, Baltimore police officer. And we'd tell them, you're going to make it. Hang in there. The ambo's on the way. Whatever it might be. 
And when yeah. you see the life escape from that person, uh, they take their, their last breath. I don't think, to be totally honest with you, Robin, that ever goes away. I still feel the effects today. Yes, I do too. And that's part that's really hard to describe. And every now and then, uh, television, would it be, let's just say Hollywood, movies, television series, uh, news, they will get that somewhat true. But the vast majority of time, they don't even, they don't even attempt to portray the reality of what happens on this job. The highs, the lows, the emotions, and you said something very important, the touching moments, and I always found to be very difficult, the uh, the degradation that a lot of people lived under and the hopelessness. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're talking with Robin Wallace, medically retired Jacksonville police officer, injured in line of duty. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Imagine if you were one of the first on social media or on social audio apps. Here's your chance to be one of the first on the free breakout app that combines the best of social audio and social media. Get it at letbreak.com. There's a free version for your iPhone and Android devices. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley of the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show. Get it for free at letbreak.com or at the App Store and Google Play. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Robin Wallace, medically retired Jacksonville police officer. She's injured in the line of duty, suffered permanent life-long injuries. And we're going to talk about what she's doing today in just a little bit. It might surprise you. As a matter of fact, it will definitely surprise you. Now, Robin, you were permanently injured in the job, almost 10 years on the job. Was it one of those yes. moments where it's like you were stabbed or shot or something that really, I'm air quoting again, sexy? No, it um, it was just a really easy injury. It was none of that. It was placing handcuffs on an unruly subject, uh, a young female. When you say unruly, were they resisting and uh, you know, flailing around with the arms and shoulders and knees and all that stuff? Yes, uh, twisting, pulling, dropping weight, just didn't want to put the handcuffs on. At the time, she had already kicked a chair at my face, um, and, you know, and I got hit in the face with objects. So it was just placing handcuffs, and it's so simple, and it seemed so slow motion, but fast all at the same time, because obviously you, nobody wants to be injured, including, you know, the person that you're placing under right. arrest, detaining. None of us wants to use force. Uh, quite often that escalates so, so quickly that someone seems to be taken in for a very minor offense. And this is something that Hollywood, and I say Hollywood, the news media, social media, it was just a minor thing. It was just a shoplifting. Next thing you know, the, the cops is knocking them out, and or there's gunplay or whatever it might be. Things escalate very, very quickly. This person, were they wanted for a very serious crime or was it minor? Very minor. And next thing you know, she's resisting and you're able to get her arrested. You're getting into custody. No real force is used. Yeah. Am I correct? 
No, no, none at all. Um, I actually didn't even know I was injured. Uh, So the only visible injury that we had was to my partner, and she ended up having um, a cut on her hand. And other than that, don't know if it come from, you know, fingernails or something, but or just scratched open. And then we just put her in the back of the cop car and took her down to the master's office. It was that simple. So a very routine arrest. It was nothing great. There was no, when I say great, there was nothing about it that stands out. Nothing. So you're, you get the uh, arrest affected. You are transported to, to jail, for lack of better words. And at what point did you realize that you were injured? It was um, later that night. I felt some soreness in my left elbow and arm and hand. And it was kind of like maybe you'd worked out at the gym or something and had that sore or stiffness. But then it's the following morning. It was a little bit more intense. and uh, But I had to work. So I went to work. Um, and then I'm on a routine call again for service and I had made a fist or clenched my hand or tightened it somehow. And that's when I felt my fist being very tight or my hand being very, very tight. And I looked down and that's when I had the swelling in that I had seen all the swelling in my hand and then saw the swelling in my elbow. And you, you were a young person at this point. I wake up sometimes, I say this jokingly, I wake up sometimes, something hurts, doesn't feel well. I look down, it's swollen, and that's part of where I'm at in my age. But when you had this happen, you were not old. No, not at all. I'm, I'm still very young at this time. <laughs> How old were you when you were injured? Um, 44, Yeah, right? 44. Yeah. And by the way, Policing is very much a young person's game, as I say. I, I see things in the news, Robin, all the time. And I'm like, man, let me strap on a gun and badge and go out there and show them how it's done and blah, blah, blah. And then I realize I got lots of injuries from police work, physical and yeah. mental. It's not it's not just one. It's all the above. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be the gray-haired old guy, it, it, gray-haired fat old guy in the uniform. So at what point did you realize something was wrong? Um, when I saw that swelling, um, I actually had to finish the call service I was on. It was, uh, for a mental health patient that we were dealing with on the side of the road, the main road. Um, once we finished with her, I went back, uh, to the office, informed my sergeant at the time, and then they sent me off to urgent care to go find out what was going on. Um, they did the x-rays and it come back, nothing was broken. And they initially just thought it was a sprain in the left elbow, but it ended up becoming much more than what that was. Go on. Tell us what it wound up becoming or what you realized it was. Well, it took took several months after my initial urgent care visit for them to actually do an MRI. And, and it showed MRI findings had come back with torn tendons in the left elbow. And um, during this time or prior to getting the MRI, I was doing physical therapy. And physical therapy got to the point where I couldn't even lift a one-pound weight in my left hand and arm. Um, so when they did the MRI, come back with the findings, and they continued to do uh, physical therapy with me, and it continued to get even worse than that. And during this 
uh, process, they had me on light duty. So I wasn't on the road. I wasn't safe to be on the road. And I actually ended up having to have surgery on my left elbow on the outside and the inside to kind of reconstruct that tendon. And because it had been torn from the bone for so long, to my, my best of explaining it to you from the doctor is it didn't have blood supply, so it kind of died. And then when they reattached what was left, the black part, the dead part of the tendon, they was cut off, and then they attached what was left, which caused my permanent disability in my arm. You can't see it because we're on the radio, but I'm cringing right now because, number one, <laughs> what's the old saying? I'd, I'd rather have a broken bone than a sprained any joint because the sprain takes so much longer to heal. And when you look at x-rays, for example, and I'm not a medical professional, so please don't quote me on this. It doesn't show tendon damage. It doesn't show quite often soft body injury. It doesn't show the the soft tissue injuries. So things like ligaments, muscles, things like that. If you don't have the more advanced screening, uh, MRIs, CAT scans, things of that nature, it won't show up. So they'll just treat it like a mild sprain and say, hey, take, take it easy, stay off of it, keep it elevated, take take whatever it is and get some rest in and you should be back fine. Uh, and by the way, when you're not fine, let's do some physical therapy. And then when that doesn't work, let's get more aggressive. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with Robin Wallace. She is a medically retired Jacksonville police officer. When we return, we'll talk about the devastation of her injury, how it affected her career, and what's happening today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow we'll see you there return conversation on the law enforcement today show with robin wallace a retired medically retired jacksonville police officer injured in line of duty permanent lifelong injuries and she's been out of police work for how long now robin uh, it's been about two and a half years. Okay, so now. it's kind of recent, and you were a cop for a little, uh, almost ten years. And when I say cop, I want yeah. people to understand that is a term of endearment for me. Uh, I don't give a lot of people that term. And uh, when someone, it's funny when someone who worked in law enforcement calls me a cop, I like, yeah, you're welcome, thank you. When someone outside of it says it, I get a little agitated so um, and the other term I use quite often is guys and and in our world that means men and women uh, so yes. you're one of the guys you're one of the guys it doesn't matter so you 10 years on the job you got hurt and it, what was seemed to be a routine arrest um, and it progressively got worse and worse you had surgery to repair 
uh, torn tendons to reattach them to your bones and things of that nature. And it led to what you call permanent disability of your arm. Explain yes. the, the before, what your arm was like, and the now. The before, my arm was a regular, fully functioning arm. I did anything and everything I wanted to. Um, I could pick up the same amount of weight. I could extend it the same the same uh, extension as the other arm. It was great, right? A regular arm. After surgery... Um, and after I had reached my MMI, which is your maximum, uh, uh, maximum, uh, I don't know the exact maximum term medical it, something or other. Yes. Maximum medical Once improvement. I reached, yes. There we go. Once I reached that, um, it, it was just, they, they, I was done with, with physical therapy. I was done with everything. Um, my arm doesn't extend fully. So if I lift it above my head, my other arm is every bit of 12 inches longer. My right arm is 12 inches longer than the left. Um, the elbow just doesn't extend. I can't, I can't pick up a gallon of milk and pour it from my left arm by itself at all. I can't pour a two, like a two liter of, of liquid. I can't pour that unassisted by any my dexterity when I reach out further and I do fine motor skills those have decreased um, compared to my right arm um, yeah it's just a, it's a hindrance it is a lifestyle change um, I've learned how to adapt everything being done with my right arm even though I'm you know I, I'm my dominant right arm period it just took on all, everything else because now it just assists my left arm when right. need be. One of the things I, I got to ask you, because I, I went through this and people look at me, they don't know that I'm, and I, I don't like this term. They don't know that I'm disabled because uh, I don't use a wheelchair or walker or cane or anything like that. Right. But I have two large steel plates on my right hand and wrist, and that is totally fused and it doesn't move. Uh, and there's certain things I've learned to do differently, but there's still things I can't do. And I am right-handed. That's my yeah. right hand. That happened in the line of duty. When people look at you, can they tell that there's something going on, or uh, is it not obvious no. at first? Not obvious at all. You look at me, I look like a regular person with a regular, normal, functioning arm. But um, and then, So that's kind of frustrating in a way, because... Not everybody's disability is a very visual or eye-opening disability. So when I speak of my disability, they they kind of look at me with that side eye. Yeah. Like, what? Uh-uh. But then when I raise my arm or I try to extend it out or pick up something or pour something, like, oh, okay, now we see what you're talking about. So it's I get judged uh Sometimes, like book, uh, judging a book by its cover, right. kind of like yeah. how it goes. Well, the other thing, reason, reason I ask that is because quite often with police administration, and I, I'm not saying that as a term that covers all cops. Uh, there are police, then there's bureaucrats that run agencies. And quite often, these bureaucrats, and by the way, when the bean counters, the city, the council, the city, county, state, federal government, when their accountants and lawyers get involved, it's a totally different situation because we were brought up. Hey, if something happens to you, we'll take care of you. You got your back all the time. And they tried for a very long time till it's out of their hands. But when they see that this, you don't have something that is blatantly, obviously going on, some people tend to think, and these police administration bureaucrats, that you're faking. Was that an issue for you? you yes, it was. Mm-hmm. How bad? 
Um, bad enough initially for somebody to say that my injury wasn't real, so I probably just don't want to work anymore, be a police officer anymore. And that was absolutely far from the truth because this was my lifetime dream. And uh, I get emotional over that because I I can hear that. Do you still get, are you still bothered by those statements from people? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm like your sappy, sorry, soft little girl. I mean, I I truly, I I feel like I'm one of a kind, you know, and I'm very hardcore about what I do and how I put up into everything that I do. And uh, to have a dream taken away from you and then for people to, think that you're faking or think that it's not as bad as what you say. It does. It, it cuts a little deep. Yeah. Uh, I, I can relate 100% because there were times when I felt, especially early into my retirement, uh, do, do they even remember me or do they think that I was like someone trying to pull the wool over and scam the system? Uh, because yes. they didn't think I was injured enough. Um, after three surgeries and two steel plates, uh, my wife, at the time, the doctors, the lawyers said, you're done. Uh, and those police department doctors as well. You're done. Your career's over. I was 33 and I was still stuck with that. I didn't go out wow. of my terms. I didn't do the full career. Wow. Is that how you felt? I didn't do the full bit. I didn't go out of my terms. So therefore I, I feel like I'm ripped off somewhat. Yeah. I feel because I didn't give my, my full years for four legit retirement or I don't even think that's the correct word to use, but because I didn't give them my full term that I wasn't entitled to anything because it's not that bad of an injury. I didn't stay as long as I was supposed to, to have full, you know, aging retirement. And yeah, I agree a hundred percent. That's well said. Yeah. It it sometimes feels it's a negative thing. And I say early in my retirement, I don't feel that way today. And as a matter of fact, I'm very rarely rude. There's a few things I will correct people on. One is they they call me an ex-cop. I will correct them and say, no, ex is people who were forced out or were fired. There's former who left on their own terms for whatever reason, and there's retired. I'm retired. And yes, I do have a physical injury to cause it. And if you want to live in my shoes, you're more than welcome. Yes. Yep, sometimes, you got, sometimes you got to be a little bit rough. Uh, would you describe your retirement, the whole process from the job? Would you describe it as difficult or more difficult than it needed to be? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was more difficult than what I expected. I didn't think that high. I would have to have to go through attorneys. Um, I didn't think that I'd be asked to resign. Um, that was an eye opener and that was completely disheartening and a slap to the face. Um, especially how I felt like I have given my absolute most to, you know, my, my agency, my city and my work and coworkers and all that. And then to be asked just to kind of quit, um, yeah, that, that was painful. It's yeah, painful it's a, to hear. It's a tough process. Um, there hits a point where the decision's made, you got to retire, and you just don't know. I didn't know. Lawyers had to get involved. I didn't know if I was to be fired. I'd have to quit. I'd be retired. And then when we had the hearing uh, in February of 1992, we didn't know how it was going to go. We just knew my career was over, and they said, you're retired. And I thought, 
at the time that I was on Easy Street. Boy, was I wrong. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return our conversation with Robin Wallace. We'll find out how easy her street was when we return. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. We're turning our conversation with Robin Wallace. She is a retired Jacksonville, North Carolina police officer, medically retired, injured in the line of duty with permanent lifelong injuries. Before we went to break, Robin, we're talking about when I retired, I thought I'd financially be on Easy Street. One of the things I didn't realize is my health insurance tripled the moment I was retired. Uh, it became a third of my pension. And that pension, because I was young and dumb and living off of over time, it was 66% of what I earned. Um, so I took a huge cut in pay and had a huge increase in health insurance for me and my family. So automatically, we were behind the eight ball financially. Was that the case for you? Yes. Yeah, it was kind of. Um, when I left, when I finally got my, my walking papers, I'll say, um, Yes, my insurance, I could have kept it, but it tripled. And then it kind of forced to try to go and find Obamacare, you know, the the state assistance or federal assistance on the insurance. So that's the route I ended up having to go because I just couldn't afford it. And then because I had this permanent disability in my arm, um, I was denied a lot of jobs because you have to be able to lift and you have to be able to repeat or or have repetitive movement in your hands and arms and wrists. And I, so yeah, financially I took a big, big hit and, uh, it was devastating to me because I didn't know how I was going to continue to live my life and help with my kids and right. maintain my toll. Bills don't stop. Yeah. The bills don't stop and the finances don't stop. And, and, and life that here's a big thing. And the finances is one thing because everybody's got that to deal with, unless you're one of those one percenters who are filthy rich and money's no issue. I'm not <laughs> yeah. one of them. However, Same. It, it comes in quality of life. What kind of life do I want to have? I thought that I was going to be a police officer until I, was, I couldn't do it anymore. And I was done and it was over. And I was 33 and I'm like, what do I do now? And my life was starting to fall apart. One of the things, I got to say this real quick, I have friends that I work with who are in wheelchairs um, that are disabled police that survived that can have to eat ramen noodles every week because they can't afford to live because of the health insurance situation. Um, Without beating that issue into the ground, the big thing mentally was, where do I go from here? I'm sure that was an issue for you. It was. I, I didn't know what I was going to do for sure. Um, I was so limited on jobs, period. So I eventually um, obtained my private investigator's license, and I started to go down <clears throat> that route, uh, route. But the day that I opened, I should say, was um, January 2020. And then, of course, COVID had hit. Um, like a month later, everything was shut down. Courts weren't going to court and having trials. And so I wasn't getting paid and I wasn't getting jobs. So almost a year goes by and uh, I don't know what to do. I'm, I still need income. 
I ended up opening a hot dog cart, (laughs) which led me to being able to actually buy a food trailer. And I opened up my own food trailer business. And that's what I currently do now for my income. So you're your own business owner and operator. And we jokingly say on the phone before we did the interview, she would, Robin would call me sir, which makes me feel really old. And I said, if you say that, I'll call you a hot dog lady on the radio. But here's what <laughs> yeah. I think is important. One thing, I'm incredibly proud of you for doing that. And the thing is, it is so easy for me to get wrapped up in things going in my life that when I go to a hot dog stand or let's say the checkout of the grocery and I'm sitting there, I become impatient. I lose total thought of who is around me what their situations, what they've overcome in life. So when people get a hot dog and soda from you, I'm sure most of them don't realize what you've been through and what it took to get to where you're at. No, none of them. I don't go telling my story like that. <laughs> my ever, very close friends, my family. To, do you ever think to yourself, man, if they only knew I wouldn't, they wouldn't be buying hot dogs and sodas from me? No, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the reason I bring that up is with the current anti-police climate. And I know so many places like I'm not putting blue line stickers on my car. I don't even put on my social media. I'm a cop. I don't want anyone to know because they'll attack me. That's what I'm getting at. I, it does worry me a little bit, but I have a great community. They show a lot of love and support. Um, it, I'm truly blessed, I believe, in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And not only do I serve my community, but um, I also run my food trailer on the military uh, base here in my town. And I just think we have a lot of support from, you know, for our law enforcement and for our military and our and the community members in a whole. I think the vast majority of people feel that way. And it's a small minority. It's very vocal that we hear about all the time. The last part, I agree. before we go into... Uh, more of what you're doing today. The retirement process from state to state is different. There's different requirements. What are you required to do to maintain your pension? Uh, Just to maintain it, every two years, I have to have a medical evaluation on my arm. Um, And I have to go back to doctors and usually specialty doctors to have them reevaluate the permanent disability and have them fill out paperwork for the state. Um, But the one thing is that, uh, that I'm learning through this process is it's not, it's not cheap and your personal insurance may not even pay for that. They have the right to decline, which mine has. So everything I'm doing, I have to pay out of pocket just to satisfy the state to prove that my arm is still permanently disabled. And are you due to do that again soon? Do you have to do that again soon? I'm actually in the process right now. I'm on the last uh, 60-day stint, if if that's the correct way to say it, the last 60 days. Um, So I'm waiting to hear back from the medical board if they'll accept the doctor's paperwork, which is the same doctor that did the surgery in the beginning. Right. So is there there fear that things may not go well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I question, and I never want to sound, you know, kind of dumb, but if I've lost tendon and it's never going to regrow, you know, how 
how does my permanent disability go away? How, why do I have to fight that? I don't understand. I don't understand all the hoops that I, that I'm jumping through. And then my personal finances having to pay for that. Um, that that it's just a big question mark and I'm fearful that they could take it away from me. Something I feel like I've earned and I I have the right to that a hundred percent. And by the way, you know, I retired in 1992. I was 33 and retired. I still have nightmares every now and then I'm called back. It's like they, they're going to pick the phone and call me back. The reality is that's not going to happen, but the fear doesn't go away. And it's like, oh, my goodness, let me just get through this. So you're still very much in the battle. You're battling the city, the county, the state. Uh, and right. you are, and I'm air quoting, the hot dog lady, which I think is phenomenal. I'm not <laughs> saying it's a negative thing. I think that's great. You work for yourself. But is are you available online? Are there locations where people can find you website wise? Yeah, I do have, um, I have my food truck on Facebook. Um, and that's under R L street dogs. Um, so you can definitely find me on Facebook and where I'm going to be, which is phenomenal. Um, uh, I post uh, base and I post County events and city events. Mm hmm. It's RL Street Dogs. That's your your Facebook page. Yes, sir. Oh, you just called me, yeah, sir. Yeah, I just that, did it. Yeah. And now you're <laughs> call you the hot dog lady because you. I yeah. promise. <laughs> Look, uh, what about website? Do you have a website available? I do. I started one to kind of bring up some awareness for the the issues and problems I've been experiencing, and maybe to pass them on to someone else. So it's awareness. Four, and that would be the number four, injured.wixsite.com slash my hyphen site. That's a lot to remember. We're going to work on getting getting a shorter <laughs> URL because if you're like me, I, if I'm not writing it down, I'm not remembering it. Uh, and I'm yes, not going to, yes. Robin, I'm not going to ask you the question, which hot dog is better? We all have certain tastes, certain preferences, <laughs> and depends on where you come from in the United States. Uh, but there's certain ones. And I said earlier, I'm the, the old chunky guy. I gain weight just looking at stuff. So I have to eat certain types of hot dogs and uh, stay away from the carbs as much as possible. Uh, I appreciate your service. I thank you for your service. And I really appreciate you taking time to tell everybody your story. Because I know it's not one that's comfortable, but people need to be aware. And please feel free to stay in touch and let us know what happens. Absolutely, I will. I appreciate you having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.